Hello, fellow nerds. Check out our network site, nerdsloth.com. You can also connect with us on social media like the Facebook, the Twitter, and the Instagram. If you like what you hear, look for Nerdsloth on Patreon and consider donating to help us continue delivering quality shows straight to your ears. If you'd like to help the shows out for free, head over to iTunes and write a heartfelt review. I mean it. Make me cry happy tears. But seriously, though, anything you can do really helps us out and we love you for it. Hi, this is Marjorie Liu from New York Comic Con, and be sure to listen to Adrian Has Issues. Hey everybody, welcome to Adrian Has Issues. Today I am speaking to a very awesome guy. He is a Harvey Award nominated comic book colorist whose work has appeared in Wildstorm, DC Comics. Uh, let's see, in those imprints he's uh, done colors for The Authority, JLA, and um, actually some books for Valiant like Bloodshot Reborn, Divinity, and Archer and Armstrong, the latter of which I'm actually a really big fan of. Recently, he is uh, kind of hopped into the writer's chair. Uh, he's doing this really cool book for 451 Media called Stained. If you've been on social media, you've probably heard about it. Got to check it out. It's really cool, and I can't wait to talk to him about it today. So uh, please welcome today's guest, David Barron. David, how are you, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Let's get right into it then. If you will, I guess a, a quick little picture as to what Stained is all about. Well, Stained uh, is a five-issue miniseries, as you said, coming from uh, 451 Media in May. It's a project that I've been working on for quite some time, trying to find the time to do a, a create-our-own. Uh, isn't as easy as one would say with all the other um, projects I have lined up. I'm exclusive right now with Valiant Comics, so that you know is taking priority of a lot of things, but I finally made some time to make a passion of mine, which is writing, a priority. So with that said, Stained, you know, was born. Stained is a, a sci-fi action adventure thriller. It has uh, a lot of twists and uh, dark turns into it, but it follows uh, the hero Emma, who is a recovery artist slash bounty hunter. Uh, she lives in a world that was full of disease and basically, the world was hit with another plague, uh, one that hasn't, you know, hit the world uh, in a long time because, you know, of our modern day technology and medicine, uh, we kind of, you know, get rid of those type of things. We had a couple scares, you know, in our real world with the bird flu and West Nile virus and things like that. Well, uh, a disease, whether it was chemical warfare or, or not, finally hit. And she lives in a world where the only way for those affected to survive and because they were hit in such a, a, a mass number was to cut off limbs and replace them with, in her case, cybernetic parts. It separated the world into a class system where the rich got nanotechnology, they got carbon fiber uh, replacements and synthetic flesh to go over them. So they look, you know, still uh, as one would consider normal. The latter, which is what Emma is, is referred to in a derogatory sense as a stained, uh, meaning that, you know, their parts are metal. They still have a lot of grease in them to keep them working and moving. And they literally will leave a stain, you know, if they're sitting on a nice white couch. So her class level doesn't have a lot of jobs 
as one might be qualified for just for the fact they're looked down on in society and to a point kept down. So Emma has found work as a bounty hunter and a recovery artist, something that, you know, her past has made her capable of. The police don't really like her, you know, again, because she's a stain and they're not. The police don't really like her because sometimes she takes jobs that they don't want to. But she does have one friend uh, in the police department named George. And uh, with his help and with just her own info out there, she finds the odd jobs. And with Stain, we follow her with uh, two jobs. Uh, one job takes place in the first issue. The second job takes place in the second issue and continues all the way throughout uh, issue five. And um, we just kind of get to discover who she is and what she's about. And uh, we kind of get to live this you know, thrill ride, this action adventure sci-fi thrill ride through her eyes. Something that I've always loved in my sci-fi is kind of like a Blade Runner. You know, it's it's fantastical, but it's very believable as something that could happen in our world. And especially, you know, you talk about the class system where obviously it's like the haves and the have-nots. And I don't know, have you ever played like, let's say something like Do Sex, like, you know, Human Revolution? Because it kind of reminded me a lot like that, which I thought was interesting. I haven't played that, but I, I've heard, you know, some comparisons to to many different properties like that. It's, it is based in the real world. You know, it's based off something that absolutely could happen, you know, yet yet it is unbelievable today because we don't have that technology necessarily, but maybe we would if we needed it. You know, maybe we would transfer some of our uh, resources to uh, making sure, you know, that we still have a strong workforce. You know, what happens if the workforce goes away because of a plague? You know, you're going to do everything you can to save them to make sure, uh, you know, especially the rich, because, you know, the, the filthy rich, yes, they, you know, have a place in our society, but they are the 1%, they are the 2%. They are not, you know, the everyday person like you and I. And so we're kind of following Emma, you know, who is uh, much more like myself, you know, in, in so many ways. I think a lot of writers, you know, write the characters uh, as a piece of them. And Emma's did a lot of her tendencies. I remember I was going with my uh, story editor, Neil Posner. Him and I were talking a lot, you know, through the development of this project. And, you know, he would say, like, you know, would she say that? And I'd tell him, I say that. And <laughs> I go, you know what? You're right. You know, I guess you do say that in different situations. And so there's a lot of, you know, me in her and a lot of life that I deal with on a daily basis, whether it's political or, or just socially that I find is in this comic book and the comic book overall, you know, ha ha definitely has a theme. It's, it's kind of a spoiler. You know, you find out what the theme of the book really is in issue two, but without even the theme, it's, it, it's still an enjoyable reading. You still get a lot out of her because, because we do a lot talking about who Emma is, not necessarily about the plague, not necessarily about how she became, you know, a cyborg, but actually who she is. There's a, you know, a lot of the early reviews, uh, you know, that were some of the fans, some of the fans concentrated on like, well, how'd this happen and how'd this happen? And some of the other reviewers would say, oh, I'm sure, you know, Baron's going to tell us, you know, he's going to, he's going to write about it. And I just keep thinking to myself, like, nope, that's not going to be in it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, if, if they're looking for things to be spelled out to them, you know, they're, they're not going to be satisfied. If they're looking to have a very emotional connection to a project, they're going to be extremely satisfied. Right. And that's the way it should be. Why spend that much time crafting a story if you're basically going to go down 
would be a very predictable route. And yeah, I'm sure if there can be questions, but if it's spelled out, it kind of kills the experience for you. And what I kind of liked what it's building towards, and you know, this is just of my own interpretation, is that in one issue, you've managed to pretty much craft a, a pretty breathable world. And that's something that's not easy. And it kind of sounds like a very uh, basic thing to kind of compliment, but books usually take a while to kind of gain steam but here i have a clear idea as to who she is what she is and i'm sure obviously as we go on like you said in emma's story figuring out more of her backstory but i liked the politics of it and maybe that's just me and, and my own thinking but uh, the fact that this <laughs> you know she had this horrible thing happen as did many other people but the thing that saved her life now is just further ostracized her in a way it's like you know she can't change that i only have five issues to tell this story and you got to pick you know, what what parts do you want to actually say, you know, where that, you know, cannot be denied? And what parts do you want to leave up to the reader to fill in and make it believable? And I think that's, you know, I do take it as a compliment what you said about making it a breathable world. And I think what I did that made it so breathable is that I didn't overwhelm the reader or spell out every little point to the world. There's enough hints and cues you know, in the in the artwork and in the story, in the actual dialogue, that helps you build a very realistic, breathable world where, you know, some people get hooked up on those, you know, type of breathable, you know, issues. If you got to imagine that if a government came and had to basically give free medical care, and we're not just talking about the basic medical care that's in our, you know, today's, you know, politics. Right. I'm talking about through blue, we're saving everyone's life. Uh, medical care to keep society going, how much would that cost? You know, with that, you know, Emma's line of work is taxed heavily. And anything that is, you know, basically under, you know, the top 10% of income is taxed heavily because those are the people that needed to be, you know, paid for to, to survive. And so you'll, you'll notice like little things, you know, of, of heavy taxes in the book. And it might come out like, oh, man, that stinks. But then you're thinking about it and you're like, OK, that can make sense. You know, it's it's you know, I think someone actually did the math for me. And it was somewhere around 60 percent. Wow. And anyone who's a self-employed business owner uh, like myself, who, you know, you you already pay a pretty high tax. I mean, I, I was at uh, at one point, you know, without obviously tax deductions, if I didn't have any tax deductions, I think my uh, uh, tax rate was like 57 percent. And, you know, my mom was like, how could it be that high? I was like, that's my tax bracket, you know, with, you know, where I'm at and what I do for a living, you know, so it's, it's not that far off. Uh, my, my story editor, again, Neil, he questioned every little part. And I think um, uh, with that, why we have such a believable world. Another thing that you'll notice early in the pages is that she is not the only cyborg. Right. Uh, she, she starts off in a bar and you'll see in the background you know, that so many people have this type of, you know, technology to, to their parts. I like to call them enhancements. Uh, obviously, in this world, you know, they're still looked down upon if it's not the, you know, fine, you know, expensive nanotechnology, carbon fiber, synthetic flesh enhancements. But it builds that world that she is not the only one. And then we kind of get to find out what makes her so special throughout the series. You know, what what makes her the, the hero of the book, what makes her worth reading about, what makes her, you know, worth, you know, your $3.99 every month. 
You mentioned the artwork also, which is fantastic. Uh, Yusuf Ages did a fantastic job on that. Did you create this with their vision in mind, or did that maybe come after the fact? So Yusuf was actually my third artist I brought onto the project. The first artist, uh, he was fantastic. Yet he, He's actually doing some really good work for DC and Marvel right now, but he just did not fit the tone of the book. At that point, when we were pitching it to people, he was good. It just, it just wasn't the fit I was looking for. And at that point, the, the book was a 12-issue plus ongoing series. And I had to retool the whole thing just because I couldn't find a publisher to take an ongoing series. It just, it just doesn't exist uh, in today's climate. And so I retooled it. And when I retooled it, I, I wanted to go a different direction. Uh, I picked up a second artist who never could commit to the time frame that I was hoping for. And that was okay. That happens as well. And then I found Yusuf. Uh, I already did all of the character designs and, you know, kind of the layouts and everything. I sent that, you know, to Yusuf of what I was thinking. And then I said, you know, give me your take. He followed my designs really well, you know, but yet put his own artistic flair on him. He, he was the perfect fit for what Stained is. He has a very um, rustic uh, ink wash style, and uh, he fits he fits the mood and tone of the book perfectly and adds so much with his art to the story. Emma, even just being on Twitter, I've already been seeing fan art for her. It's definitely one of those character designs where I can say, oh yeah, there's going to be some really badass cosplay for that. Yeah, you know, that, <laughs> that was part of my des uh, design, where I wanted people to you know, want to cosplay her. But, you know, you got to have that emotional connection, too, to have people fully, you know, commit to cosplay. I would say her design came from, you know, an everyday world of my, you know, early 20s. You know, what, what were the girls wearing when I was dating them? What was, uh, you know, what, what did I feel like inside, outside? And how could I make her function as a, as a quote-unquote superhero, yet still as we talked about earlier, something completely believable and accessible to what she does and how she does it. After all those things happened, I was like, how could I make her fun for people to dress up as? How, how, can, how can cosplayers want to be her? And that's how some of her hair designs came, uh, her practicality for her jackets and her inner boots. And yet it still had you know, some, some twists and flares to it as well. Being a colorist, you know, you've worked on some pretty impressive titles, and you also mentioned a contract with uh, Valiant. So at, at what point then did you decide that you wanted to step out of that and start writing your own books? Well, I've been writing my whole career. I started out as a colorist at age 15. Oh, wow. I didn't realize you'd been coloring that long. Yeah, color, I've been coloring for over 20-something years. Yeah, I, I started coloring comics digitally before Photoshop was able to color comics. We worked on a, a system called Cod Barrett, and uh, I got to do a couple different projects for Image and Dark Horse. We, you know, I worked on an old book called Star Wars Droids, and then we also did like Casper and Archie, the old ones, and and then uh, it, we also did a bunch of Wildstorm and, and Extreme Studios things for Image, along with you know like the Max trading cards and Spawn trading cards and. Uh, all these different projects, you know, for for image comic books. Uh, when I was 18, I went to Wildstorm Effects 
and you know worked with those guys, which was was just fantastic. But all between there, before I even professionally got into comics, you know, in my you know middle school days, I would write stories and comics and try to make them and and uh, you know not pu- try to publish them. But you're always creating and writing. And then when I started getting into comics, I I've helped you know so many others you know with stories and write little scenes here and there uh, uncredited. I would. Uh, Draw for DC Comics, uh, uncredited, you know, whenever they needed like a major patch and they didn't have time to go back to the artists and they, and my editors knew that I could draw. They would just kind of have me draw, you know, for that. So there's a lot of ghost, you know, ghost uh, writing and drawing. And then about five years ago, I think it is now, uh, I took a stint as art director for Cryptozoic Entertainment, which uh, at that time did the World of Warcraft trading card game. They also uh, published uh, the comic book, The Lookouts, and they did uh, many board games like the Walking Dead board game, the Big Bang Theory party game, the DC deck building game. Um, So there's a lot of different things I was art directing. And in that time, I was editing and I was art directing and I was writing and and I was creating a lot of different things. One of the reasons that I I went to that company was because the vice president and I talked about uh, me doing my own creator on projects there. But because of just what the company was and was going through at the time, it, it wasn't possible for me to do any of the projects. So when I left Cryptozoic, I started Stained on the side. I was making a lot of good progress, but then I got wrapped up with Valiant uh, on the exclusive. And it wasn't that they didn't allow me to write. Uh, they they were wonderful about that. They, they encouraged you know my, my writing and my uh, own creator, own projects. But I just had so much work that it took a bit uh, to get it done. So my long-winded answer to you, I've always wanted to write. I've always was writing. Uh, it's just nothing that, you know, the comic book you know community could see. You mentioned that you wanted Stan to be an ongoing, but you, I believe it was the line, and I don't remember verbatim, but it was basically like, you know, that's just kind of not what the climate is, which is something, you know, we have been noticing is that there have been a lot more miniseries and a lot more, I guess, uh, short narratives. Now, I mean, I say someone who's been writing for a very long time, do you find that to be actually uh, beneficial in terms of being able to craft a story? Or does that in a way alter your process in terms of how you craft your stories? It makes you think a little bit more about the story because you have an isolated amount of pages where when you have an ongoing, you can, you, you can create and fill in all those little details that sometimes, you know, the fans want to, want to know about. I would say in this case, it was good for me not to have those extra pages. Stain actually has, if, if, if it's a, you know, hit and people demand more and they just say, you know, 451, we, we need more stained. There's, there's already two more trades worth of content ready to be, you know, published in terms of story. Uh, and I'm sure Yusuf would be more than, you know, happy to uh, provide the art. He, he was very happy with the story. And uh, which, and the other arcs, you know, still help the narrative of what this five issue mini is about, yet expands on a, a lot of those questions that people will have. Uh, with this, that, that said, the, the book doesn't leave off on a cliffhanger. It doesn't leave off, you know, m- making you want to have questions to be answered to help the story. The story itself is 
is very much self-contained. All it does is make you want to know more about Emma because you enjoyed the book so much. It, it doesn't leave off you know, anything that makes you unsatisfied by any means. And I think that's one of the reasons why 451 picked it up because they picked it up after, after the whole project was done. And uh, I think one of the reasons they, they did is they saw you know, that it was a complete story that just made you want to know more about the main character, not know more about the story. And talking to other personnel from 451, uh, James himself at one point, as well as uh, Andy Ewington, uh, who's working on Red Dog, which is a really fun book. You know, I've, I've noticed there's this really cool little resurgence of like, very unique sci-fi stories. And as someone who, of course, grew up with that stuff, I, I, I'm kind of like a kid in a candy shop right now because these are those like stories that I've always kind of dug and they're not the normal kind of path that I would have thought about in my story. So I, I think it's really cool that we're starting to see these really sort of different, unique takes on sci-fi elements that we've all sort of grown up and grown accustomed to. Well, I think also, you know, it's it's how you said, you know, how we grew up and what we saw and what we wanted as, as kids. And now those kids have grown up and we're re- reaching an age where, you know, not only are we, are we grown up, we've all kind of refined our skills a bit to tell good stories if you're interested in you know in writing and and you know sometimes it takes a long time to craft a very well thought out story and it's also you know i want to do something different i don't want to you know do the same thing over and over again and what what have we you know been missing in comics so i think you're right on that that i think a lot of people are being like well you know i want to see a little bit more you know, sci-fi action adventure that when I grew up, we had a ton of. And now we have dirty superheroes nowadays. You know, we don't (laughs) have, you know, just fun-filled action heroes anymore. And I think Emma, people will relate to her because I feel like, you know, she's just a full-fledged Indiana Jones, you know, action hero. You know, I think that's why people, you know, kind of, uh, you know, kind of get that Blade Runner feeling. Uh, one one reviewer called it, you know, the West version of Ghost in the Shell. And I just think because it, it's not copying or following, but it's helping you recall things that you liked as a child. It's helping you remember why you like comics. It helps you remember why you like reading sci-fi stories. As you said, you've been in the business for uh, since you've been 15, and that's a, a very long time. So you've basically seen the progression of the comic book landscape as to what it was, you know, versus, you know, to what it is now. And, you know, like I said, there's a lot of things that have been changed for the better and maybe certain things that haven't. Yeah, you know, I guess it really is up for interpretation, but I think it's about that time. And again, that that's that push that I've been seeing and I really appreciate it. Especially, like I said, the adventure part, because like I said, there's, I don't mind dirty superheroes, not necessarily. I, I don't mind a good internal conflict, but I don't know. Like I said, there's a reason why I'll go see Star Wars and like, I pretty much had like tears in my eyes when Force Awakens come out. Like, there's something in me personally that just craves just, just classic adventure, you know, good versus evil kind of stuff. And I don't know. Maybe that sounds corny to some, but I, I, I think that's something that I knew I was missing. I'm with you on that. I, I agree with you fully. Like, you know, it, it's nothing against dirty superheroes. I actually, you know, I think made a lot of bread and butter off, off <laughs> in my past with dirty superheroes. And uh, and when I mean dirty, I'm just talking about dark and grimy and, you know, not to say, you know, evil in any way or, you know, explicit. I'm just talking about it's, it's just a different vibe. You know, they have a lot more, you know, going on, you know, nowadays 
where I was just trying to get away from that a little bit more and, and just really concentrate on, on following, you know, this person on the adventure that they're going. I mean, I, I grew up on Goonies, you know, I, I wanted to be those kids to have those adventures, you know, or stand by me where it's just a summer on, you know, walking on train tracks where you discover an adventure. And really that's, that's what happens to Emma, you know, her, her occupation gives her a bit more of an opportunity to find adventure, but the adventure she goes on, she did not want to go on. She was not looking for, you know, it found her. And I think that's also why this story speaks to so many people because um, the adventure she goes on, you know, she stumbled upon. It's not, you know, it's not like it's, it's spelled out for her where, you know, it's, it's so in your face. This is, this is how it goes. And when I saw the trailer for The Last Jedi, you know, it's just like, I'm ready. I'm ready for it now. Because of the hope it gives you, because of the feeling it gives you, because of the, you know, how you just said good versus evil and, and Stain absolutely is a good versus evil book. Oh, man, it's funny you mentioned The Last Jedi, and already, like, my hair is just standing on end. And I saw the teaser the first time, and I was like, you know what? That was good, but all right, that's fine. I went and made coffee, and, of course, I'm, like, showing the step kid. And then it's funny, and seeing him, I reached for my phone, and like, you gotta see this. And I'm, like, grinning like an idiot. I just literally just shoved the phone in his face. Like, what's happening? It's like, just watch. Just, just let it happen. <laughs> You're not alone. You are not alone. But of course, you get me on a Star Wars kick, and you, you won't get me shutting up. But I needless to say, I'm very excited. <laughs> of course, you mentioned Valiant a few times, so I don't know if you want to get into a little bit with your experiences working there and some of the titles that you're working on. Yeah, Valiant's a great company. I, I met them a, a couple years ago uh, after I ended my time with Cryptozoic Entertainment. I started with uh, Archer and Armstrong with uh, Josh Johns as as the editor, and he was fantastic to work with. I got to work with Perry Perez. At that time, a, a newer artist, his artworks were fantastic. Uh, writer Fred Van Lente, which is one of the nicest guys, and, and his, his scripts are so funny and entertaining. Going back to you know what we talked about, you know, action adventure, I really loved enjoying with those guys. I uh, did a long stint on Bloodshot Reborn with Jeff Lemire and uh, a cast of very talented artists. Uh, with Miko Saran doing most of the art, you know, that I worked with. What a rewarding book that was to be a part of. Just the emotional tale of a superhero again that you know we've seen a lot of. Yet the emotional connection Lemire was able to give the reader uh, to the character was fantastic. And then we have Matt Kent's and Trevor Harris signs with Ryan Wynn's uh, Divinity. What a book to be on from uh, Mueller's. Uh, uh, design and uh, uh, covers to um, Ryan Wynn's inks uh, and everything in between. It was a joy to work on. And Divinity is such a rare book to be a part of because it, it is a sci-fi adventure. Yet again, you are trying to, it's almost a sci-fi a mystery more than an adventure. Yeah, I would definitely agree to that. Yeah, and uh, so being on all those different types of books, uh, with Valiant was was very rewarding. Uh, I think uh, if you haven't checked out Valiant Comics before, you definitely should. But I also think you should check out you know everyone. I don't. I, I love Marvel. I love DC. I love so much of what they do. But I find myself you know not ever sticking to one publisher. Back in the day when I was a kid, I, I was in collecting comics heavily. I was the same way back then. You know, it wasn't just Marvel. It wasn't just DC. In fact, as a kid, besides Batman, 
And, you know, back then it was when uh, uh, Superman died. Besides those major DC events, I actually kind of stayed away from DC. I read a lot of X-Men and X-Men related titles. But then it was was Image, uh, you know, early on when they were out there. It was Valiant at that time, you know, Valiant's first, you know, go around. And then it was me discovering independent publishers. I mean, I remember having you know, read Evil Ernie back in the day when, you know, before it was anything, because I was at San Diego Comic-Con walking the aisles and I, and I saw, you know, that I remember seeing, you know, Vampirella and all these, all these other different independent books and picking those up and, uh, you know, looking at them. And I think, as you mentioned, the resurgence of that is kind of coming around again. I think uh, Valiant and 451 and Vault and Black Mask uh, studios, I think all of them have taken the page from Image and said, you know what, what we're going to do is we're going to, you know, give independent creators uh, a mainstream voice, uh, let them kind of do what they want with their backing. And unlike Image, these other publishers are trying to stay relatively small so you can believe in what they offer. So you don't have to be overwhelmed. Uh, Image has grown. They didn't used to be so big. They've grown because of their success. And if they keep, you know, that, you know, high end line, maybe they'll keep growing or, or you know, plateau, but you can still uh, trust, you know, the books they put out. The, the number one thing a publisher can, can do poorly that has affected the big two, but hasn't crushed them in any way is to put out too much that you don't actually believe in. Uh, as a publisher or a creator, that could be, you know, the, the worst thing in the world. It could be a nail in a coffin to not believe in something that you're, you know, selling. I fully believe in uh, the philosophy of, of make the comics that you want to read yourself. And uh, if you're making comics that you don't truly believe in, you're not really helping out, you know, the comic book community. Absolutely. And I agree to that sentiment in almost any creative endeavor. And I think that's why we're seeing the things that we're seeing now. You know, we talk about nostalgia in a, a very negative way lately, only because it's like, you know, there's a lot of things that have been revived or things that have been revisited. And a lot of it, people feel that it's maybe just mining the things that we loved in our youth for the sake of, let's say, sales or, you know, branding. But I, I think when it comes to comics and a lot of the stories that I've been seeing, it feels like nostalgia done right. You know, you mentioned, like I said, here's your kid, you know, you read Marvel and X-Men, you know, which is what I did. And like I said, Evil Ernie and Vampirella, which are like the books that I kind of wasn't necessarily allowed to read. But, you know, I I'd kind of flipped through them and the, like the comic book store clerk wasn't looking. But <laughs> as is always the case, because, of course, it's like once they put on that shelf, it's like not for children. You might as well have just been like, please come read these. It could come with a candy bar. Please don't, not for children, but free candy with it. <laughs> right? And come on, we've all done it. But I, I love that I'm now noticing, like I said, like that nostalgia where that feeling I had as a kid where I didn't necessarily have these weird allegiances. I mean, obviously, well, other than being an X-Men fan above anything else, but just reading comics for comic's sake where it's like, okay, this looks cool or this has a fun story. Picking it up just for the sake of just being in love with comics and I think that if anything's really going to save the medium or have it continue going is just people breaking that love back where, yeah, I mean, I don't mind that a, a more popular company or a corporate entity is still putting their books out, which is fine. But, you know, it's going to really be that love and appreciation that's going to keep it going. 
Yeah, you know, when it comes to nostalgia, I don't think people are trying to capitalize off of it. You know, I mean, obviously there are that. I'm talking about when we're talking about, you know, 451 or we're talking about, you know, Black Mask or, or Vault, you know, the company that we were talking about. I don't think we're trying to, cop, uh, you know, capitalize off off of uh, nostalgia. I think you said it well where it's it's that the books are so well done that it gives you the feeling of nostalgia. It gives you the feeling of why you read comics and why you like comics back as a, as a kid and why you continue to read comics. And, and so I think, I think it's just writers speaking to you again. I think sometimes we, we read comics and we enjoy the, the medium, we enjoy the superheroes, but the, the writer's not really making that full connection. And I think the nostalgia comes when the writer is making that connection with you. And that, that's always my goal as a reader. You know, I want I want to read someone who makes a connection with me, and that's why I, I enjoyed Warren Ellis's work. That's why I enjoyed uh, you know Jeff Lemire's work, you know, on Bloodshot, even Fred Van Lente's work on uh, Archer and Armstrong. Why I enjoyed it so well was because it gave me that feeling of this is why I read comics. They're 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 absolutely connecting with me on a level that makes me feel so good that I can actually consider it nostalgia but i think with nostalgia it fades quickly when someone's just trying to you know make a gi joe movie for nostalgia's sake if it's not really well done it's not going to speak to you and therefore you might have saw it but you're not really happy with it because it it just didn't didn't meet what you were hoping it was going to meet and uh you know some people think oh you're just saying that you know what, what do you expect they can never you know give you that same feeling as a kid yet Star Wars does it, you know, uh, yeah. for some people, Transformer does it, not necessarily for me, uh, <laughs> but, but not in a way that, you know, you know, GI Joe, you know, absolutely didn't when it redid the, you know, new movie, because for me, GI Joe, again, wasn't about, you know, the fact that they were, you know, military, you know, type of, you know, personalities that, you know, beat up the bad guy. It was these were individual characters with actual emotions and actual personalities and the personalities of, you know, the, the, the characters in the movie just just didn't hit on the same cylinders. I think this is part of the reasons why a movie like Guardians of the Galaxy or, um, you know, even even, you know, Thor in the movies, uh, the Avengers is because each character clearly has a personality and we get to see it. They don't try to hide one personality uh, you know, at least for me, that's why Guardians was so great and Avengers uh, when, uh, you know, Iron Man's poking, you know, Bruce Banner, you know, <laughs> just to see what's going to happen. You know, that's that's him. He's interested. You know, he's he's curious. That is the key to anything entertaining to me is finding, uh, you know, that connection with the person you're trying to entertain, whether you're a comedian, whether you're an actor, whether you're in a writer, it's it's uh it's that connection that solidifies you. And I think it also feeds into itself. I often think of the relationship of the, let's say, going back to comics, the comic book creator to then the reader. But then there's a relationship between creator to creator and also reader to reader. Because mm -hmm. something I've always loved is that when you're around a group of people who are also into the same things, obviously people talk and people communicate. And one thing about the indie comic scene is, 
It seems very large, but it's also very small. So, of course, what happens when you have so many different creators on so many different uh, publishers and books where, you know, people are doing well, people are responding, other people are seeing that. And I think, well, it should, at least in my opinion, of course, that'll bullshit in and be like, hey, you know what? I'm glad they're doing well. And that also just, you know, in a way, boosts morale, you know, and that way it just kind of just keeps it going. Absolutely. I mean, I remember... um uh, Joshua Williamson, uh, who's you know exclusive DC Comics writer, back in the day when he was just trying to break in, and I remember John Layman and, and him and I were hanging out in Seattle uh, for Emerald City Con, and you know John was just saying, "Man, I hope this guy you know makes it big because you know he's a great guy and he deserves it, and I really like his work." And it took him years, you know, to really you know, solidify you know his name in comics, and, and now he's one of the you know biggest writers for DC. And it makes you feel good because you got to know him, because you got to, to see him, you know, work hard on it. You know, comics, people say it's easy for you to, you know, get this project or it's easy for you to do this because, you know, you've been doing it so long and you're part of the club. And But the truth is, it doesn't matter how long you've been in comics or, or you know, what you're doing. There's only a finite amount of books being published, period. And unless you're willing to self-publish, you know, sometimes it's going to be very hard for your story to get out there. With, with Stained, uh, I was going to self-publish if I could not find a publisher. I was going to have this story out no matter what. I was going to advertise it no matter what. And 451 came and it was a perfect match. You know, everything they're doing for the book is absolutely amazing. And everything that I could provide, you know, for them you know, I, I do, but it wasn't easy. You know, it wasn't like it was just a, you know, instant hit. There's a kind of a line that says uh, every overnight success was years in the making and stained, you know, is that way. And, and, you know, so is, you know, so many other, what people, you know, consider super popular books. You know, there's a lot of hard work put into them along with, you know, what, what someone thinks is an overnight success, you know, in comics or they think it was easy for that person to get in, you know, they, they put a lot of hard work. So I always encourage anyone who wants to be in comics, you know, to, you know, never give up. Number one, you know, roll up your sleeves, though, and get ready to work, you know, get ready to, you know, not be handed anything because every person I know in comics that is successful and can still and still is working and continuing to work uh, or has worked briefly, put a lot of effort and desire into that, and nothing was given to them whatsoever. When is uh, Stain coming out? Stain comes out May 3rd, which is right before Free Comic Book Day, that Wednesday. It has a, a main cover by Steve Morris. If you don't know Steve's work, he has done, uh, in the past, fantastic and amazing-looking Buffy the Vampire Slayer covers, Power Ranger covers. I believe Stain is his best work. Maybe I'm a little biased, but I really, <laughs> yeah. But I really enjoy what he's doing. I feel like his his number one cover was was amazing. Yet uh, his covers for the rest of the series is absolutely mind blowing to me and captures uh, Emma's spirit and the spirit of the book uh, so well and, and looks so beautiful. Every issue of Stain has uh, a one in five variant incentive cover. Uh, the first cover is done by Jock. That Jock cover is insane. It, it's it's definitely worth the pull. I'll tell you that much. Uh, Jock uh, has been a, a longtime friend of mine. We first met 
on Green Arrow Year One with DC Comics, uh, which started uh, or was the inspiration for the Green Arrow TV show called Arrow. I actually uh, am a street sign uh, during a Cupid episode, which is a, a story for another time. <laughs> I was saying, at some point, you may have to come back out and tell that story if you're comfortable with it, because that sounds like that could be fun. No, absolutely. It's a fun little you know tidbit of, of the inside world of comic books and, and entertainment, how you know my last name became a street sign. But uh, so Jock, you know, I, I got to work with Jock on Detective Comics, uh, Batman the Black Mirror, and it was Scott Snyder. And him and I have done a couple other projects together as well. Uh, so he uh, was kind enough to uh, free up some time in his schedule, his very, very busy schedule, to do a variant cover for me, which I can't be uh, thankful enough. I, I think every time I tell him, I thank him again and, and sincerely. And I tried to do the same thing that I did with Jock with, with the rest of the covers, find people that not only do I admire and uh, find extremely talented, but consider a friend of comics and, and want them a part of something that's you know very personal to me. Issue two is uh, Ramon Villarobos. Uh, he, he is just a fantastic person. If you haven't seen uh, his work, I, I highly recommend searching it out. Issue three is by the Harvey and Eisner Award winner, uh, Mike Norton. Uh, Mike Norton uh, is known for many different issues. We actually met on uh, a Green Arrow series. In fact, Mike Norton's name should have been the street sign, not mine. Uh, <laughs> talk about that another time. His uh, work on Battle Puck, his, his uh, web series, is just amazing. And he's talented, uh, he's kind, and uh, I was lucky enough to have him uh, do the issue three variant. Issue four is Adam Gorham. If you don't know Adam's work, that guy hits another level. And what I try to do is match the personalities of the artists for the relevance to the story. And each artist, to me, matches that. And Adam's variant cover is one of my favorites. I mean, I love Jock's cover. Jock is absolutely amazing. But Adam's cover just blew me away and gave me chills. And then Jonathan Wayshack is doing the last cover. He's actually, I've only seen Jonathan's uh, sketches for the cover, but his sketches are, are spot on perfect. And uh, he'll be finishing up that cover actually this week. And uh, I can't wait to see that because that's actually a fully painted cover. That will be uh, something hopefully that will uh, be sought after to anybody who likes Stain because of its 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 content. But yeah, so I got uh, those five creators to join Steve on the covers. Yusuf does the art for the whole series, all five issues. All the art is actually already done because, like I said, I, I fully funded the artwork before 451 picked up the project. Uh, Simon Bolin adds all the lettering. Simon's work, if you haven't paid attention to lettering, uh, take a look at Stain's lettering with Simon, and then you can start looking at other you know, comics and how the letterists you know, do different things. And Simon, to me, is considered one of the best. I was so happy he, he agreed to join the book. He uh, is a talent, and he understands uh, the importance and the craft of lettering that adds you know, to, to the reader's enjoyment. Right. And quick shout out to letters, by the way. There's some fantastic uh, letters out there. Some I've had on the show, some I've actually really been looking to talk to you. But I just wanted to kind of throw a quick little shout out to them that we notice and we appreciate you. Absolutely. No, it's, it's so true. I mean, that's that goes the same way with coloring and, and even writing in art sometimes. I mean, you know, you want to be absorbed in the world. And, uh, you know, a bad colorist will take you out of it. A bad letterer will take you out of it as bad writing or, or art. 
And sadly, sometimes for lettering, uh, you know, you only really notice if it's if it's bad, and then that's when you you know find out who who did this. Uh, with Simon, uh, his work is very popular among professionals because we do look at everything. You know, we do want the best for our books. So um, Simon is so um, important to me, and and this project is it's also why he gets cover credit. So Simon, the whole the whole team gets cover credit on on my books. You're very hard at work with Valiant, and the Christine is uh, going to be out full tilt by next month. Um, so are there any other projects you have in the back burner that uh, you're working on, or is it too early to tell? No, I actually am writing. It's too it's too early to you know say it fully, but uh, uh, no, I'm I'm writing another uh, mini series, and I already have an artist uh, attached to it. There's no release date. I'm a, I'm a fan of having, you know, completion or close to completion before announcing so we can give a full experience to the reader. I don't want to uh, have any regrets in the storyline. I don't want to have, you know, I don't want to write into corners or have someone draw themselves into a corner. I want them to know, you know, what we're getting to and the expectations uh, but no, things, you know, most people in comics, you know, it's it's what we do, it's what we create, it's what we want to do. So there's always projects. Now, the question is, will you get to, you know, publish them and and, uh, and get them, you know, seen? Uh, you know, that's always the goal. But, you know, I still consider myself uh, currently a, a very independent writer where, uh, you know, hopefully the projects, you know, see the full light. And, con- and considering that I try to go to completion on scripts before I even, you know, kind of show an artist. Sometimes it could be a a long time in between projects because if I get pretty far but still not satisfied, you know, that project doesn't really see the light of day. So there's about three or four projects, and and one of them uh, is very close to completing, you know, in 2017. So hopefully in uh, in 2018 we'll have another uh, project written by me. Fantastic, man. David, thank you so much for uh, sharing your thoughts. And again, like, I, I can't wait for everybody to check out Stained. And I mean, obviously, the, the pre-release buzz is out there. And I've definitely been noticing people have been really enjoying it. And hopefully, obviously, once that hits shelves officially, that'll definitely continue to pick up. So thank you for uh, stopping by. Thank you for having me. It was a great time with you. And uh, I'll come back and we'll we'll talk about that Green Arrow story. Yeah, because it's like you tease it a few times and it's like, I just... um. Uh, my girlfriend and the kid, we were just watching, um, well, we just started Legends of Tomorrow, and we just wrapped season four on Netflix to Arrow, and it was actually the last of, like, the Arrow, the DC Arrowverse shows that we watched, but yet I'm like, oh, man, like, not bad, like, I've, it's weird, because I didn't grow up DC at all, but I'm like, man, this show is badass. <laughs> yeah, you know, DC, uh, TV series are usually pretty good, it's, it's the movies that get a little shaky, but, uh. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, 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 a little shaky only for the fact that they've, they've also had some monster hits, you know. So, yeah, no, I, I enjoy all those. And I, I'm, I'm a big fan. I'm a pop culture fan. There's so much in comics that I enjoy that it's, it's just a great community to be a part of. Please let everybody know where they can find more of your work online and any other sites and things that you want to plug before we head out. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at myzombies. Uh, David Barron was taken, so uh, I went with (laughs) my old school handle, My Zombies, on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, You can find me on DeviantArt. I've been on DeviantArt so long, I actually could get David Barron. 
but you know, those, those are my main ones to follow me. Uh, I'll be, you know, around, uh, conventions. I'll be at, uh, comic Palooza in May. I'll be at Phoenix comic con at the end of May. Uh, and I'll be doing a couple store signings at Ryan's comics in the Murrieta area. I'll do SoCal comics and games in the Temecula area and nowhere comics in the San Marcos area, uh, which is all in Southern California. And then I'll be doing uh, Bedrock City in the Houston area with uh, more locations to uh, be announced. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you're saying, hey, I want David to come you know, to us, uh, whether it's a convention or a store signings, just tell your store, tell your convention and let them tell me or let them tell 451 or Valiant Comics. And, uh, you know, maybe I'll get out there. Sounds great. And again, best of luck to you in the book and uh, all your other future endeavors. And for us, uh, you'll hear all of our nitty information after the theme song. Uh, Eileen, my producer and love of my life handles all that. So you get to hear her voice afterwards. But uh, for now, that'll do it for this episode of Adrian Has Issues. And we will see you next issue. Thank you for listening to Adrian Has Issues. Please be sure to visit adrianhasissues.com to stream or download our other great episodes. Like us on Facebook at Adrian Has Issues, on Instagram at Adrian Has Issues Pod, and follow us on Twitter at Adrian Has Issues. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the Satchel Podcast app, available on iOS and Android. Adrian Has Issues is a proud member of the Nerd Sloth Network, home to such great podcasts as Nerds on Tap, Cinefreak Critique, and Saturday Morning Cartoon Boom. Visit them at nerdsloth.com.